0: Hello, this is Mary Cole and the Good Story Podcast, helping writers craft a good story. With me, you will hear from thought leaders related to writing, and sometimes not, about topics important to writers of all categories and ability levels. Here is to telling a good story. Thank you so much for joining us. I would like to present to the group Rachel Orr thank you
1: um yes it's always funny when you get introduced at conferences and they've clearly like gotten the bio from the website and maybe it's not like quite accurate still and i'm like Whoa. but um, like, oh i need to rewrite my bio and just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly or i'm like where did they find that oh no anyway so um i'll give you the real me um Yes, yeah, so Rachel Orr, I have been at Prospect Agency, and now I'm going to try to remember when I started there, um, For since um, 2007. So prior to that, I was at HarperCollins from 98 to um, 2007. So I started marketing. I then slid over. Well, it's funny. I, I um, interviewed. I knew I wanted children's publishing. I interviewed for William Morrow Marketing and HarperCollins Editorial, Um Got interviews for both. Did not get the Harper Collins editorial job, and I was crushed. I didn't know what marketing was, but I went to William Morrow because it was in New York. It was a job, and it was in children's publishing. Um, and then within like eight months, Harper bought out William Morrow, and I slid over to editorial. So, and I got a window office, which was sweet. So I stayed there because I didn't have a window in my bedroom apartment um, in Hoboken. And so I just stayed there till they laid me off. And then yeah, and then here I am. So then I had already really been wanting. um, So initially, I was not keen on agents, I just thought, Oh, they're really mean and scary. And they want money. And then, but yet I was reading manuscripts. And if they weren't right for me, I was passing them on to other editors. So one of my editorial friends was like, you've kind of been doing this all along. So maybe you should, AJ, and I'd already spoken with Emily, so and Kim at prospect because I, um, I learned a lot of great things at Harper, but at this time, again, around 07, it was really the celebrity book craze. Um, and it was kind of being told we're not here to encourage, um, and nurture new talent. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's funny. Cause that's exactly why I'm here. So, um, so it was really great. I went with Emily, um, at Prospect Agency, and she does more uh, YA, women's fiction, romance, some erotic. How she used to do when that was in. Um, so very different. I do very different things. Um, yeah, but really started the children's division there. And then now we have Charlotte Wenger from um, – she was originally – at Page Street Press in um, the Boston area. So she's working on a lot of children's books as well. We um, Emily is still there. Then we also have Ann Rose in Texas, who does, who does older stuff as well. In fact, during our recent meeting, she was talking about this book that she can't seem to sell because the main character enjoys slaughtering the victims on the kitchen table. And Charlotte and I are like, oh, oh my, <laughs> it's very different from what we work on. <laughs> so- um, Yeah. So yes, our Anne, Charlotte, Emily, and I, and then we have Tina Shun, who is our foreign rights person. And we also have um, Ellen Brescia, who's our assistant. So yeah, a really nice, um, just great team that I'm very excited to be working with. And we work very collaboratively as well. Um, If I hear about somebody who's acquiring picture books, I'll let Charlotte know. We'll help each other with contract negotiations et cetera. So again, I would say my, my focus there is really is picture books. Um, I do some in board books, middle grade, YA, um, graphic novels. I kind of have run the whole gamut. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of, there's a lot of crossover too. So there's a few picture book projects. They actually started as picture books So there's a few graphic novel projects that started as picture books and then became graphic novels. Um, One of my clients, Bob Holt, I signed him up as an illustrator. He he used to work for Hallmark and he was the creator of Hoops and Yo-Yo, which was like a greeting card line back in the 90s. So he had emailed me and he had this fantastic animated clip called The Unlucky Snowman. And I thought it was hilarious and I'm like, I need to sign this guy up we sent out the unlucky snowman as a picture book and nobody bought it. And then I said, why don't you turn it into a graphic novel? They're really big. And he was like, no, snowman can't talk. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, the, he does kind of in here, but anyway, so he's like, well, I based this on a book called the unlucky kid. Maybe that would work as a graphic novel. I'm like, sure. So anyway, so we sold that as a graphic novel to kids can't press. Um, yeah. And then some books, they, you know, there's, there's, I feel like when I was growing up, it was very cut and dry. There were picture books. And then there was like, Ramona. And then there was like, Lois Duncan, Christopher Pike for the YAN. So there were now there's stuff. Oh. A little Christopher Pike. He a yeah. slaughtering on the kitchen table. I know. I know. Yeah, I really I was a huge Christopher Pike fan. So anyway, there, there wasn't as much crossover. And so it's really exciting now to be working in publishing where, where there is so much crossover, where something might come in as a picture book and we end up selling it as a board book. Or sometimes I just won't. Say what I—I'll th- let the editor think <laughs> what it is. So, for example, um, two books I sold recently to Francis Gilbert at Penguin Random House. These have not been announced yet, but um, they're called the uh, "My First Book of Tattoos" and "My First Book of Beards." So they're very like baby books for the hipster crowd.
0: And um kind of like, like the, the baby be of use series out from I think tricycle or something. Oh, okay. Have never ever heard of those? It's like baby do my taxes, baby plan my wedding, like baby be of use because babies are useless.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So this, so Frances Gilbert at Double Day, I don't know if you guys know her, she's terrific and she's very um focused on the marketing hook of the book. She wants to know. Exactly, I mean, and she likes good writing too, obviously, but really what's key for her is how can I sell this? Who am I selling this to? Um, She needs to, she wants to present materials. Um, She's at Double Day, which is part of Penguin Random House, which is huge. So when she goes to her sales meeting, she wants to present materials that they're going to remember. So I had sold a few books to her in the past. Um, Todd Tarpley had written a book that I actually sold to Michael Justin, who worked with her. And then she took it over when Michael left called, um, library books are not for eating because that's a big, right? Like librarians love books about books. Um, so I sold that to them. I also sold Bob Holt's first picture book. Let's taco about how great you are, which is all like specifically for the kind of preschool graduation set, like. You know, and Frances is just like, yeah, I don't really believe in that. But a lot of people do. And so <laughs> let's let's sell it. So with Robin's books, the um the tattoo and the the um, beard book, I, I wasn't sure. A lot of people don't do original board books, although I knew Frances did do some. But she was she just said, oh, Rachel, I, I have some spots open in my summer 22 list. What do you have? So I I usually am very strategic in sending like one editor project at a time and waiting to hear, hear back. But this was like an open invitation, so I just like threw things at her, um, and you know I sent her like eight projects. She was like, no, 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 no. And then I was like, well, let me. And this this is a book I hadn't shopped around like in a long time. So I didn't tell Robin, I just like, I'm like, let's just see. And I didn't say they were board books. I just said they were picture books and I thought she can decide if they're board books or not, but I was definitely picturing them as board books. So she came back to me and she said, Oh, I really, I really like these. And again, they have a very specific audience. It's like the hipster baby audience hipster parent, um, for baby audiences. And so she said, would you see these as board books? And I said, well, yes, <laughs> yes, I would. I think that would be fine. So, um, just in terms of the fluidity of the market and really being able to think in different ways. Um, and with graphic novels too, I don't know if you guys have seen, there's the, um, Harper, I can read comics line, yeah. um, which is, which is really cool. And cause I feel like, the I can read line. It's a very specific skill set, but they're really great. And for a while, though, they were just doing kind of like biscuit, Fancy Nancy. Really, they're big giants or movie licensed properties. Basically, they right. offer a, a production
0: line, and they're they're going to sell anyway.
1: Right. So then, so I'm I'm excited that they're doing some. Of the ones I just saw that were out. Um, Vicky Fang has one. Sergio Ruzier. So they're you know, the authors that are very successful in the picture book market and the graphic novel market kind of making this jump into comic books,
0: which is fun. So that's really exciting because I know a couple of people in our group, and we can talk specifics kind of after our Q&A, may have ideas that could be board, could be picture book, could go even up to chapter book or kind of young graphic novel and i like that you're sort of seeing opportunity whereas in in the children's book market as you were saying it the way we talk about it for aspiring writers or if you want to debut it has to fit into this bucket or that bucket or this bucket it seems like once you have an idea maybe it can actually be a little bit more amorphous
1: right yeah exactly um and it's funny, like with Bob Holt, he's got the picture book and he's got the graphic novel. And then he's also doing um, some novelty books, some board books for Worthy Hachette. And then some novelty books, which are, it's called When I Grow Up. It comes out in November from Houghton Mifflin. And it's like a die cut. It's got this circ- like half moon die cut. So you hold it up to your face and then you are, the body is down here and your head's here, which was a little tricky to sell because a lot of editors were like, I don't know how this works. Is the child holding it? But then if the child's holding it, they can't see it. <laughs> the art. And then if the adult's holding it, then that's weird because they're already grown up. But I was just like, whatever. Like you could have siblings read it. I don't know. I look in the mirror. I just, I don't know. So anyway, um, Chris Crohn's at Hope Nothing agreed with me that it was a great idea and is publishing that. So
0: Yeah, Uh, I mean, you you hardly ever hear stories of like you were saying original board books, novelty books. When we see somebody who has like a concept that would be great for a novelty book, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) And I I think I kind of go on spurts. Like just recently, I felt confident going out in the marketplace with those. Um, I have another author. Susie Lee Jin, who I've been repping for years and she, she has a published a picture book mine from Simon and Schuster before I started working with her. But, um, and she was working on some picture book ideas, but none of them were really sticking. And then last year, she came out with two really cute, um, uh, novelty projects that I'm like, Oh, this, and I just feel like that's her strong suit. And I think that's a lot of publishing is Figuring out creators figuring out like where where is their strong suit and experimenting with different things until you really find it. So she has these two books. So one we just sold um, recently to Scholastic for a three book deal. Another one we sold to Schiffer Books in P- in Pennsylvania. So a smaller house and a bigger house, which is also kind of a nice balance to have. Um, yeah, so I'm like thrilled for her because because it was a long time in coming and figuring this out, and now I feel like she's hit her groove and we're just kind of running with it. But I think, so I think it's a lot for the, um, just in terms of my confidence, same with graphic novels, at first, When I um, was at Harper, it was the era of like everyone wanted to do a graphic novel, but no one really knew how to do it, and so they're expensive, full color for
0: everything. I feel like houses were like so gung ho about it, and then had
1: to walk it back. Like let for a second, take it because it's hard. So now, like they know what they're doing, and then I've sold a few, so I feel more comfortable. So it's just, it's just once you know, like anything. Now I'm like, okay, now I can do this. Now I know how to sell novelty books. Now I know how to sell graphic novels. So let's take it back a couple of steps.
0: I would love to hear. um, So first, how do you decide to work with a picture book creator? You know, what is your criteria for when someone approaches you and they say, here's one thing, or here's a couple of things most likely that I've been working on? What is that process like for you from the representation end and then i'd love to talk about and i want to get this out there before i lose my train of thought i'd love to talk about that um you know how do you help somebody develop into their strengths when they have other ideas you're already working together but let's let's start first things first how does that working together piece even come together
1: sure so um so I'll use the story of someone I, that my latest client I just signed on. I mean, I have a lot of clients already that I feel like I physically like cannot live without this project. So it really, really needs to be big. But for me personally, I need to absolutely follow up. So this was like maybe just about two months ago. I don't know. It was Friday night and like I'm just hanging out. I'm like, oh, let me read through. Let me actually like go through my submissions. So I'm looking through. i was getting frustrated because I did I didn't like any of them and then I found this one called Proper Badger was the title and I'm like oh that's kind of cute it's different right it's something that caught my eye and oh I should have I should have opened it up basically can this a, a jacket and tie might make the badger project, badger proper but can it stop him his claws from coming out during the party and I'm like oh this 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 sounds fun so I open it up and I read it and it's about this badger who goes to a party and like it's a lot of denial. Like proper Roger did not stick his claws into the cake, you know, because he wouldn't do that. And he wouldn't do this and he wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, and it ends with him, like him wanting to bite the person who told us on him. And I, because it was so fresh. And so this, this picture book author, so recently I told her, uh, well, I, I wrote to her right away, like, I read this at eight and I wrote to her, you know, like eight thirty, And I was like, Oh, can you please send me like, whatever it's Friday night. But I'm like, can you send me more of your picture book manuscripts? So, you know, by nine, I'm like, I haven't heard from her yet. My daughter who's 10 was like, mom, like chill out. It's a Friday <laughs> but like my kids, so I have a 10 year old and a 12 year old and they get super invested into this. So they, you know, now they're like, okay, did you hear from proper badger? And then, so she sends me, another picture of manuscript which is like in rhyme it's about a mouse and i'm like oh eh, whatever but she also says she's got a ya novel uh, a fantasy and i'm like eh, i don't love fantasies but i just love proper badger so i'm like yes send me your ya fantasy so i read it and it's really cool and really good um it's it takes place in key west it's a jewish family in key west um and it has some light fantasy so nothing too heavy so she's got two other agents looking at this. So I am like speed reading this. Cause again, like I cannot live without proper badger. So um, I just offer her representation and then, you know, the kids, Oh, and my daughter also, cause she wrote in her query letter, miss Orr, and she's like, well, did she call you Rachel yet? Like, are you on a first name basis? Like, has she gotten back to you? I'm like, no, not yet. So anyway, I finally um, signed her and then had a phone call with her. But as, so, so now, and then it turns out she's also this like amazing YA short story writer. Like she kind of does everything, um, which, is, which is super exciting because I, I, I didn't know that about her. And so, um, so anyway, as we we're talking about picture books, though, I told her, I'm like, I don't want to give you too many rules because everything you did in Proper Badger broke all the <laughs> rules. And I'm afraid if I tell you too much, then you're going to be formulaic. So we've agreed to, she'll send me a manuscript and I'll give her feedback on an as needed basis, but I'm not going to just like spill all the trade secrets. (laughs) So, because it was just so different and unexpected. So that's something that really caught my eye. Um, And that was very quick. But then two other clients I signed on last year, they were kind of like my COVID clients. I'm like, I need to just mix this up a little bit and I need to sign new people. They both came to me from the 12 by 12 group um, that yeah. Julie Headland runs. And I had read them. I mean, this was, I signed them both around March, April, 2020. I had read their work like 2019, maybe 2018, but I had really been thinking about them. So <laughs> one, um, yeah, it was this very sweet story called The Hole. It was about this this hole in the ground. Again, like different, right? It wasn't your normal protagonist. Um, and he makes friends with a uh, dandelion who then blows away. And I don't know, it was really, really sweet. And so, but then she had some funny stuff as well and a lot of character-driven stuff, which is also something that I look for. So so a lot of humor, um, some heartfelt. And it's funny because I brought rep- Corey Dorfeld, who wrote The Rabbit Listened, which is all about empathy and is very heartfelt, which which I love, but I also really love, like, totally bizarre humor. Um, But also character-driven stories, because I find that's a lot of times what editors are looking for. So Tasha Hilderman, who wrote The whole, she had a bunch of character-driven stories. And again, just just very sweet, funny, warm, loved it. So I signed her on... um, And we have not, we haven't sold anything from her yet, but we're waiting some editorial notes from an editor before she goes to acquisitions for the project. Um, And then Susie Levinson was the other one who had, she had a very sweet, soft prose story called Roger, no, Henry and Boo. We changed it to Roger and Boo because there are too many Henrys
0: out there. There are a lot
1: of Henrys. I like Henry. That was what my daughter was going to be if she was a boy, but but she wasn't. And anyway, so we changed it to Roger and Boo, but it's very sweet, very soft. And then I asked her to send me more stuff. So she did I'm like, send me whatever. And she had some really great rhymes. Like she really, really knows how to rhyme. Well, I know a lot of editors kind of stray away from rhyme, but if you know how to do it well, then it's great. So she sent me a few others that were great, but then she sent me this one called pantaloons poetry about animals and pants. And I, again, was like, oh my gosh, I, like, I cannot live without these, like, groundhogs and their and Like, I need, I need these, I need these groundhogs. So, um, so then that, at that point, I made an offer of representation, which is kind of risky because, um, because poetry collections can be really hard to sell, but I was like, let's just, let's try it. Um, it was funny. I sent it to Frances Gilbert and she wrote back right away. She loved it and needed to check in. And then like, I didn't really hear back from her about it. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's because she said they're hard. They are hard to sell. Um, so we sent it out. No response, nothing, nothing, nobody was taking it. So we kind of pulled it back in, which is what I'll do sometimes. Um, I'll wait for comments from editors. And if either everyone's saying the same thing, then we'll edit it. And if everyone has different things to say, then we just carry on with it as is. So I, so I arranged her back. We, we just pulled back and we sent out some other things. Then I think she had asked me about it. Like, oh, can we send it out again? And I said, sure. How about these people? And then she was the one that came up with um, Cameron books, Amy Novesky, who her friend published with. I'm like, sure. I, you know, I don't know if this is right for them. I really haven't worked with them before. So anyway, Amy ended up buying the book. Um, so it's going to be with Cameron Books, which is um, distributed by Abrams. So super exciting stuff. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to remember what else. So those were just three examples of people that I have recently taken on. And when I work with them in terms of developing manuscripts, I do do pretty heavy, typically pretty heavy line edits, Um, just being that that's my background at Harper. So really thinking through those things or not proper badger. I don't think I changed like anything. We did end up, some people were having problems visualizing it. So I did send it out the latest round, paginated and with some art notes because it's not exactly a linear story, which is one of the rules that it's breaking. So because of that, I had a clear vision for it, but it seemed like some editors weren't Connecting with it, so I did that. I know art notes are tricky, and people say not to do them, and they're right. But in this case, I, I felt like it was necessary. Um, so definitely going back and forth with a lot of edits, um, and and people work in different ways. Some people will just send me something fully polished. Um, Susie Legion just sent me a bunch of just kind of popcorn ideas, right? These kernels. So I'll go through and say. Yes, this sounds great. Uh, this has been done a lot before. You could try this kind of thing. Did that answer any of your questions? Oh I feel like yeah, I just went no. on a tangent.
0: No, absolutely. And I love I love two things about that answer. One is just hearing about real stories of how you've worked with writers, what you've identified sort of as, as people's strengths. And this idea that not all of the rules, like we talked about these buckets, you don't necessarily need to tick all these boxes. I mean, that does make it a little bit difficult on the one hand, because we hear about the rules and then we're like, okay, if we follow the rules, we'll get where we want to go. And then we hear, well, you can break the rules selectively. And then it's like, okay, so I have the rules and I have not the rules. And now the whole wide world is open to me and I don't know how to forge
1: it. (laughs) It is true. In fact, I was talking to um, an author about this yesterday, and I—I am I, not an artist myself. The woman I was speaking with is, and so I told her, "I'm like, I think I feel like it's like when you go to art school. I presume you start with like a figure drawing class, right? And you draw you draw the bowl of fruit, and then you draw the awkward naked person standing in the middle of the room. Is <laughs> kind of how I always pictured art school to be." Um, And then once you do that, I feel like you need to know how to draw the human body proportionally before you try to stylize it. So maybe that's kind of how it is with writing as well. Um, I mean, proper badger is an exception because I don't think she does know the rules. But again, it just, to me, it's whether it works or not. And even with novels, sometimes writers will say, oh, but I followed the hero's journey. And I'm like, well, that's great. But I don't even really know what the hero's journey is, and I don't think it works. You know, it's whether, for me, whether it works or not. So let's say, and a lot of picture
0: book writers, they have a lot of different ideas, and you mentioned some of them in your response. So let's say I have some funny uh, manuscripts up my sleeve. I have some character-driven or narrative-driven, kind of more like here's the problem, here's my character-driven solution type of manuscripts, you know, that follow that standard structure. I have some maybe inspirational uh, manuscripts having to do with a lot of the topics that we see as being kind of really popular in the market, like self-actualization, celebrating the unique individual identity of everyone, celebrating diverse elements and backgrounds, um, you know, kind of that more heartfelt vein. How... How do I know what is, what is a more uh, viable area to go into if I have sort of a lot of different ideas kind of along these, these bigger categories?
1: Well, that's why, so in a query letter, and this is where I feel like the importance of a query letter comes in. Um, I'm actually going to be doing a talk about query letters at the LA conference and basically like, I think a lot of authors stress over this and I, I can't speak with, for everyone, but I would pretty safely say most people, like it doesn't matter about the query letter. It matters about the manuscript, but the one important thing in the query letter is this is where you can let the editor know, Hey, this is also what I'm working on. So, um, saying, oh, I also have managed, so most, well, at least for our agency, you can submit one manuscript. So for something like this, I would suggest submitting what you feel is your strongest and most indicative of, of you. And then saying, hey, I also have, um, like for Susie Levinson, she sent the Henry and Boo, but it was also clear that she, that she was a poet and she talked about being in the poet's, po- poet's garage, which I guess is a poetry group. And the Um, having poems published in Hopscotch Magazine and and different things like that. I don't think she named any specific manuscripts. And I I wouldn't, I would just say, I have other manuscripts um, in these veins that you might be interested in. Or I also am working on a nonfiction book about this, something like that. Or again, if you cross genres and saying like, oh my, I've got a YA, don't tell me you have like, Five YAs, because then that that makes me worried that you're not really focused and you're a little everywhere. And again, I think it's great to experiment, but I don't. I want to see that you're somewhere focused. So you could just say, "Oh, I have other picture books manuscripts for you to consider." So if I really love someone's writing, I will ask them to send more. And usually, I specify three, and then that's your opportunity to show me your range. So send me. Um, Maybe if you started with your diverse own voices manuscript, because that's probably what's most sellable right now or some, or humor humor is super. That's what editors are looking for now as well. So send me your humor manuscript. So you've done your research, you know, I like humor, you know, that's really big right now. Then if I ask to sing it more, then send me, um, send me your picture book bio, send me your lyrical, thoughtful this is how we are empathetic in the world and send me your character driven so at that point that's where I can really see um and I do think different um just because I don't like something the first time if I don't respond or ask you to send more doesn't mean I won't like something down the road so one woman I met at a conference um I hadn't I've I've read her work before and I wasn't really super connecting with it, but then she sent me something recently that I liked, except then I (laughs) requested more and I haven't heard back from her and it's been like two weeks and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe she's found another agent already. I don't know. But so there's definitely something to be said for perseverance and, and keeping at it and trying people again, for sure. Well, like you were saying, you just signed
0: some people in your, in your COVID roster that you'd been in touch with since like 2018. So yeah, it was, and again, that it was right like you nurtured that over
1: time. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. I'm just saying that. And, and one of those, no, I think both of them, I had Tasha a little more. I've been asking like, Hey, like, can you send me some more stuff? And then she would follow up with me and just say, Hey, it's been a few months. <laughs> Did you read my manuscripts? And I'd say, Oh Yes. You know, and it wasn't quite right. It's, so it's about the manuscript, and then it's obviously about timing, right? And that goes for editors, too. Like, Frances some, has some holes in her list, and she needs something to fill them. Or um, this is really popular right now. And so at Little Brown, one of the editors, um, Nikki Garcia, signed Diana Murray. I believe that's her name. She wrote a book called Help Mom Work for home, From Home. So again, like super timely. She's not one of my clients, but it's being illustrated by, by Corey Dorfeld, who is. So that was kind of like a crash project, but something like that, that, um, you know, is, is the markets right. If I, if I feel like, Oh, I can definitely sell, sell this now, but I, I have to love it as well. I'm not, I'm not an agent who's just going to take something on because it's timely. I want you know, I want to work with somebody who I love their work, and I feel like I can sell it now or whatever. But it's so timely is a little bit different. There's kind of current event timely, and then there's general mood timely. You know, so like the whole oh people want books on empathy now that kind of that kind of thing because I feel like what happened was like. 10 years ago, all the books were on like, you're great. And now all the kids have read those books and they think they're great and no one else is. And so now I feel like we're backpedaling as an industry and being like, wait, wait, everyone's great. Everyone's great. It's not just you. So that's just my own personal interpretation of the market in that way. But
0: so publishing and popular culture created a large problem, and now
1: publishing and popular culture are solving that problem. Yeah, and I'm sure that will lead to another problem. But, you know, it's just, I don't know. So that's kind of where we are right now. We want, feel like editors are really looking for diversity, own voices. They're looking for books about empathy, um, and like in nonfiction it's interesting. I feel like it used to be what some books that used to be okay for a certain subset of writers to write about. Now it's a little trickier. So one of my clients wrote about Jackie Robinson. She's Indian. I feel like it would have been harder for a white person. And now I feel like they wanted to be a black person. And of course now all the clients I have who fall into that marginalized realm, like uh, Larissa Morant, she like is black and she likes to draw these purple hippos. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay. But again, like, I want them to be drawing what they want to draw. I want everyone to be writing what they want to write. Um, and then, and now she is doing a graphic novel with a mixed race family, which is cool. But yeah, I'm not going to make people like only write like about that culture. You know, I want them to, if they want to write about hippos, then go ahead. But it's trickier if she's black and wanted to write about, about Asian culture. She, she's actually half Asian, so she could do that, but but just uh, along those lines.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, so two kind of polarizing picture book topics that I'd love to hear your take on. One is humor, because you mentioned loving humor, but the thing about humor is everybody has their own sense of humor. And so how how do we sort of write a humorous picture book that has a chance of connecting rather than being too out there. I mean, the Badger manuscript seems like it could be just a lightning strike idea that happened to connect with you, but could be polarizing for somebody else. So how do we how do we approach writing humor? And also that rhyme question. Mm-hmm. Rhyming picture books are still published every day. But if we want to write humor or we want to write rhyme, how do we approach that with an eye toward the market?
1: Sure. Okay. So thinking of rhyme first, sometimes something I'll see in submissions is I I'll, I refer to it as, it as a situation in which rhyme is hijacking the story. So if I'm reading a story and it's cute and it's got this fun sing-songy rhythm, but if, if you rewrote that in prose and it would fall completely flat, then... I don't, I feel like the poetry is just more of a gimmick there. So really when you're writing rhyme, writing it um, in a way that there, it it helps the story and it accentuates it, but doesn't like take the place of a plot. Um, personally, I also like rhyme where there's a chorus or some, or some kind of refrain that grounds the story. Um, not just, a bunch of couplets, but something... So, like, the library books are not for eating. There's, um, you know, first the librarian eats the books, and then it eats, like, the chef's... The li- cafeteria worker's cookbooks, and then the gym coach's playbook. So each time they say, why, this shouldn't need repeating or something. Library books are not for eating. That kind <laughs> of, which doesn't rhyme exactly, but that kind of an idea. Um, or if it has kind of this repetition throughout. So Sudipta Qualan, who's one of my writers who writes, um, very, very, really great verse. Uh, very, really, I don't even know what that is. Um, she has chicks rule and chicks rock. So that the chicks rule is, um, is a chicks, sporty chicks and biker chicks, something like soccer chicks and nerdy chicks. And it all, it has that chicks repeated throughout. Um, Chicks who who bike and chicks who read, chicks who knit and chicks who meet, or I don't know, something. That's totally not how it goes, but something (laughs) like that. So it's very well grounded. It's not just this story that happens to be told in rhyme. So a lot of times I'll advise people to try that way as well. The chick's rule story is kind of interesting as well, and that it was about timing. So the other thing, we always tell writers not to write to the market, but... A lot of it, like write what you want, and then it might just not be the right time yet. So, chicks rule. We sent out, we sent out on submission, and nobody had bought it. And then the Women's March happened in D.C., so we're like, oh my gosh, we have to send this out. And so this was a this is a little sneaky, but we found out that. Some of the editors from Abrams were at the march. (laughs) We're like, we've got it. And she had already published with Abrams. So we're like, oh, this is a good time to send it. So we did. And then they bought it and then they did a sequel to it. So think like paying attention to the market and what's happening, but not writing to the market. But again, that the the two biggest things I would say for verse are um, yeah, having some kind of refrain or some kind of intentional repetition and, and the rhymes that are a little more sophisticated, not um, not just the super predictable like day play, say, but, <laughs> but really tricky ones. Um, so one of the, my favorite poets who I don't represent, but David Greenberg, mm-hmm. he used to run some courses on the West Coast for the Oregon Coast Children's Book Writing Workshop, um, which is on pause now. But he had a book called Snakes that came out years ago from Penguin that had Uh, a speckled anaconda steals the family's Honda and drives down the races down the driveway in reverse. And it's great because like he rhymed anaconda and Honda and that's just really fun. (laughs) Um, and as for humor, it is just kind of a matter of who is going to connect with it. So, and, and it's my job as an agent to know, okay, who out there, which editors are enjoying humor right now, right? Like that's, part of my job is to know which editors like dogs, which editors like cats, who likes humor. So a lot of times it is just trying it out and see if it sticks. Um, the one, and something else in general I always look for is if there is some kind of a hook, not necessarily, or moral. And I hate to even use the word moral. I like to use takeaway more. Mm-hmm. Moral sounds so heavy handed. Um, but the one thing about proper badger that I like is that really, like on one hand you've kind of got the snarky naughty badger, but on the other hand it can up, open up conversations really with young kids of how, like how you should act in social situations, right? So you should say like, "Oh, proper badger did this." Would that really be a good idea to do at a friend's house to pee on the carpet? No, probably not. You know those kind of those kind of things. So. I think the more layers to your writing, whether you're writing in verse, humor, um, you could have something that's just funny and silly and slapstick. And on one hand, that's fine. Like in, in the animals and pants book, there's no, there's no moral. And I think that's completely fine, except that you should wear pants. Like that's basically like the only moral. Um, but, but if the more layers that there can be in a story, the better. So if you have something that's funny, but it also works on this level and this level um, or has room in the illustrations to contradict the text. Mm. Um, That's also something that can add a lot of humor, right? Like if the text says the character is doing this, but he's actually doing something else that can add humor. And that's something that if you're a writer only, you can definitely put in an art note because otherwise that would be missed if it's not in the art note.
0: That's okay. really interesting. And you bring up the all important idea of the takeaway. Um, yes. so you, it sounds like you're saying, you know, obviously you do want the story to be anchored by something, but how overt are we being or how obvious is the takeaway? Even with some digging in your preference in a picture book, like it. Other than the, the Pantaloons book, which sounds fabulous, by the way, um, how, do we, how do we give our book a big idea without sort of giving it a big idea, like kind of shoving it in there?
1: Well, definitely, and this is probably something you've heard, you know, everyone's heard before, but in terms of letting the kid solve the problem, the, the more that the adult is solving the problem, then the less impact it's going to have on the kid. Um, yeah, it should, because then it goes back to the character. There should be some kind of character change. Again, maybe maybe there's not always, but yeah, the less heavy-handed it feels, I guess it's more based on the feeling, but the less heavy-handed, um, I mean, it shouldn't be so obscure because then sometimes, you know, sometimes a client will send me something and I'll say, oh, I'm not sure, you know, what the takeaway is here. And they'll say, oh, it's coming to terms with blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I totally, <laughs> totally like that. And it's interesting because the, I feel like the European market tends to be much more subtle, which is kind of also makes sense. Like the American market tends to be a little more obvious in your face and the European market tends to require a little more digging. Um, so one of my clients who's American, but her husband is Swiss, Um, she, she spent a lot of time in Europe and is very influenced by the European picture books. Um, but it's, I find that sometimes it's been hard for the Americans to connect with it because it's not a, here's the moral of the story, right? Like, so we tend to do that for better or worse in America, a little bit more than the European market. Um, and again, that's just my job to kind of see, know, who, which editors out there are connecting with her stuff. So, for example, we haven't sold anything to her yet from her, but like Beth Terrell at North South, because they're a German-U.S. company. Um, if there is something that is a bit more understated or wacky, like Proper Badger, I do tend to send to, um, send to publishers that have like, a strong connection with the U.K., like Walker Books or Candlewick, um, or North South with Germany.
0: And so how do you, once you identify kind of, this is the kind of writer that somebody is, how do you suggest that they nurture those
1: things um, when they're in your fold? I mean, just writing more too, like just keep, keep on writing things. Um, but again, I don't want to totally pigeonhole them, especially if they're early in their career. Lots of encouragement as well. Uh, But it, yeah, it is interesting because I have one client who really likes to write lyrical, kind of quiet, deep lyrical books, but she's very good at, and and not just because I, I like this kind of writing, but she is very good at rhyming and funny stuff. So sometimes I'll be like, oh, why don't you just try, you know, just try. That's all I ask people to do is, um, I'll give them suggestions, right? And, I don't want somebody to work with somebody who's robotic and is just going to make all the changes I suggest and then be bitter at the end because they're not happy with it. Cause at the end of the day, it's their book. It's not my book, but I also want someone who's not going to, uh, come back to me with this long email about why I'm wrong. Right? Like I'm just making suggestions. So somewhere, somewhere in the middle um, where you're really thoughtfully considering them. But so I don't know, I guess once they've kind of hit their sweet spot, yeah just en- encouraging in- them in that and and sending that stuff out but but also i mean always encouraging them to to try new things if they haven 't hit that point yet
0: i think so, getting you, you describing how you get feedback from editors and kind of Hitting the timing of the market and maybe a hole opens up over here that you want to exploit or, you know, an opportunity over here. I think that really um, plays into it. And I think it's inspiring for writers who don't yet have an agent who don't yet have an editorial relationship or somebody who can sort of broker them to different houses to know that it really is very collaborative. And uh, it's not as, I I, I feel like one of the comments that I hear a lot teaching about writing is I feel like I'm writing for the agent. I feel like I'm writing for the publisher. Like, when do I get to write for the the picture book reader, the actual kid that I want to reach out to with with my work? And it's really nice to hear that there is, um, you know, there is collaboration and there is kind of give and take and that it's a process. Process once you're able to connect with someone like yourself and start working together,
1: no, definitely. And um, I heard a great talk at the NE, any yeah, New England SCBWI. Just I think earlier this spring from Chad Beckerman, who's an agent now, but he used to be a designer at Green Willow years ago when I was at Harper. And it's funny because so I've known him since like he was super young and we used to just like eat lunch together and now he's like this big shot agent. So, but, so it was really impressive. He gave a really great talk about encouraging his illustrators. What he has them do is write like a hundred things that they like to draw and to really design that list and make it their own and really show their personality. And I think that's something I'd like to start doing with my writers is writing about what you love. Because that does show through at the end, rather than if you feel that you're writing for the agent, writing for the editor, you should always be writing the kind of books you want. Um, having said that, I do feel that the, um, the my clients who are the most successful are the ones that understand that at the end of the day, like as harsh as it sounds, it is a business. So the people though, who are able to not just totally sell out, but not just only write about what they're writing about without knowledge of what's going on around them. But the people who are able to say like, okay, this is a business. This is how it works. These are my strengths. And this is how I can, what I can offer. Right. So like, I feel like someone like Sudipta, she really has got these great character driven rhyme stories. Um, Very funny, able to write great dialogue. So she's um, teaming up with Mike Chicatello, who's one of my illustrators, and they're working on a graphic novel called Cheese and Crackers, which is super cute. Um, and someone like, I have a client, Tad Tarpley, who, he, he loves rhyme, he loves humor, and this seems to be a trend with my clients, obviously, but <laughs> he loves rhyme, he loves humor, but he also loves the kind of sweet, schmaltzy, like, baby books. He loves... Loves babies and his kids are in their 20s now. And I just like, he's he's like, no, he's not creepy, but he's that guy at the park who would be like, Oh, can I hold your baby? (laughs) He's great. So, but so he's done well on that. So, he recently sold, and this is a book we have had out on submission for years called Love is a Kiss. It's had different titles, it's been a rhyme, it's been a verse. He's someone that started in, I mean, it's been in prose and verse. He started in prose and then he ended up switching it. I told him to switch it to verse, which is what we did with the library book. The library books are not for eating. And um, yeah, so fine. So after much time, you know, just then some, then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, we should actually send it to this person. And then she bought it, Eve Adler at Sterling, which she, where's where he's had some other books. Um, so again he's doing what he loves within the realm of what he knows he can sell if that makes sense
0: no I think I think that's a perfect view of how you work how you work with writers uh, as well as some inspiring words so that closes out our Q&A I want to be very cognizant of your valuable time thank you so much yeah, for thank joining you for us
1: me. this is great
0: And we've really appreciated all of your insight. Thank you. Have a
1: wonderful day. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Thank you so much for listening. This has been... The good Story Podcast with your host Mary Cole. I want to give a huge shout out to everyone at The Good Story Company. You can find us online at goodstorycompany.com. And the team is Amy Holland, Amy Wilson, Jenna Van Roy, Kate Elsinger, Kathy Martinolich, Kristen Overman, Mikael Leah, Rhiannon Richardson, and Steve Reese. Also a shout out to our Patreon supporters. And to everyone listening out there, here's to a good story.